0: You know, they say never meet your heroes, but in this case, it's worked out pretty well so far. Uh, We are joined with the legendary Joe Pine, author of The Experience Economy, who's going to talk to us about learning and development and experience and employee experience and all sorts of great stuff on the Learning Geeks podcast starting now. Hello, hello everybody. Welcome. Hey, hey Bob. Welcome. Welcome. You know, and we were we were just chatting in the green room here. <laughs> Uh, we we were talking about, I I was telling Joe, you know, don't get worried about if we talk about Star Wars because we tend to do that. He revealed that he's a little bit more of a Trekkie. And I realize I don't think we've ever talked about this, but I I also am. You know, it's like I can be both a Chicago Cubs and a Chicago White Sox fan. I know for a lot of people that's heresy. Uh, But I am both, if if it's the Cubs playing the Sox in the World Series, I'm going to pull for the Cubs. That's... that's the same but in in general I support both teams Uh, that's how I am with Star Trek too I love Star Trek as well
1: so I have a question for you Bob do you think that Star Trek paved the way for Star Wars no 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 No, there's there's
2: a lot of evidence I mean well if you look at some of the behind-the-scenes stuff... There's the scenes a lot of
1: evidence. Stuff. Jake's done the research. Here, here we go. No,
2: There's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff about what George Lucas was very influenced by, which was a lot of the serials and a lot of the stuff that happened, what Western serials and things that happened back in the, what, 40s, 50s, or whatever it was.
0: And
3: What about Buckaroo Banzai? I mean, was that an influence? Love Buckaroo
0: Banzai. Yeah. I would say Buckaroo Banzai, kind of like uh, Star Wars, is not really science fiction. It's just... Uses some of the tropes of those things too—a
3: uh, Western carry out a story. set in uh, another world. There you go, exactly. I,
1: I remember as a kid watching the original Star Trek series, and one time I was watching it with my, my grandmother in the room, and she was looking at me like I was like one of the space aliens on the show. Like, why <laughs> would you spend your time doing that? <laughs> It'll never. Which last. is probably what <laughs> she she never got it. <laughs>
0: And that's probably what our listeners are are wondering right now. Why are we spending our time talking about that? But
3: <laughs> I thought this was be- show.
0: Because then. it was an experience. There you go. There you go. That's great. That's great. And um, you know, I'll I'll introduce Joe again very briefly. But uh, but I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself, Joe. Is I discovered uh, Joe's book. Uh, he wrote with his partner, Gilmore. I-, I always just call- say Pine and Gilmore, so I forget his first name.
3: Jim. James or Jim? Jim.
0: <laughs> Jim. I'm sure I'll meet him at some point, and then I'll be very impressed. That is
3: Jim! I can't change the laws of physics!
0: We finally have a segue. This is <laughs> fantastic, dad, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> but I discovered your guys' books uh, about 20 years ago or so when we were rethinking our entire learning experience at Accenture. And realizing that uh, when we were we were sending people to training classes, it was more than just the eight hours they were spending in the classroom. It really was a full experience. And if we thought about it that way, we could improve it. And uh, so so your book was my Bible for many years in that. And then uh, just a, a few months ago, we had the fortune of being introduced by a mutual friend. And, uh, and, and here we are today. So Joe, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about your history and your pedigree and, and the experience economy and how that all started.
3: Well, thanks for having me on, Bob. And uh, I will say since your uh, session is, uh, what is it, the Learning Geeks, is that right? It is. is that right? Right, right, the Learning Geeks. I'll mention that growing up, I was very much a geek or, you know, my wife says, no, 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 you were a nerd. You aspired to be a geek. But anyway, you know, <laughs> I, was, I was using computers in the sixth grade in Palo Alto in the late 60s. Uh, And decided to become a computer programmer, joined IBM, you know, eventually making that happen and worked there for 13 years before I started going on my own. Uh, And um, and it's been 28 years this month and my wife's still not sure it's going to work out, but so far so good. (laughs) Uh, and so now I always say my purpose in business to figure out what's going on in the world of business and then develop frameworks the first uh, describe what's happening and then prescribe what companies can do about that so I did that first with mass customization which came out when I was still at IBM then the experience economy which we're on the third uh, release of uh, and as well as authenticity what consumers really want uh, and uh uh, infinite possibility, creating customer value on the digital frontier, and there are Star Trek references in that book.
0: Well, you know, you said you've had three different versions of Experience Economy. I think the the most recent one came out just last year, right? Like that's what yeah, right. I have on my bookshelf right now. How has how has the world changed? You know, how, how has the book evolved as a result of the world evolving since the first edition?
3: The yeah, uh, the first edition came out in 1999. Uh, so you can think about okay, well, how much has the world changed in 20 years? Well, a lot, a lot. In terms, in terms of, <coughs> excuse me, think about the rise of the internet, which was still in its infancy then, right? That was the the, the dot com bust came shortly after that, and so the need to be able to um, uh, to be able to compete and watch how the internet commoditizes industry after industry, you know, where people can instantly compare prices and. And it tends to push people down to the to the greatest uh, to, to the least possible cost. And then the second big thing, of course, was in 2007 we started getting smartphones with the iPhone that that, that came out. Uh, and now anybody can instantly drop out of an experience by opening up their phone and checking their email or surfing the web or you know going shopping, whatever it might be. And so the requirement for experiences has. Um, um, and, and and to be able to re- incorporate the smartphone into the experience so that they use it for your experience rather than for something else, you know that, that something else. That's that's a great big requirement now. Um, the obviously there's been an explosion in experiences since then. You just can't keep track of it all, particularly digital experiences, but not uh, exclusively. Um, but what hasn't changed is all of the principles that we talked about. Right. Not you know, you don't need to change that. We've added many of, of them. The latest edition is new ideas, new principles and so forth. So did the updated edition in 2001. Uh, and so those are all the same. And they apply whether you're doing a, a physical experience, a digital experience or a hybrid experience, uh, whatever it might be. You know, their basic core principles. And of course, there's been an explosion of other people writing, figuring out what's going on uh, with the experience economy. There's many other works out there that uh, can help in in many different arenas.
1: Joe, this is a really fundamental question, I think, but how do you define an experience?
3: Uh, Experience is a memorable event that engages each individual in an inherently personal
1: way. Parse that out a little bit, say say it again, a memorable experience. A memorable
3: event Uh, that engages each individual in an inherently personal way. Okay. So, so experience is a very expansive word, right? There, there is a sense in which we are experiencing 24 hours a day, seven days a week, at least when we're awake. But some people would say, even when you're asleep, you are experiencing dreams and, and and so forth. Uh, So what I, what we are talking about in the experience economy is economic experiences experiences that people are getting from companies right because we can also then have personal experience right I can walk out onto my deck and you know watch the sunset over the lake and have a wonderful time um, without buying anything although I've previously bought the house and the deck and the chairs and maybe the cigar I'm smoking while I'm doing it and so forth Um, but then we increasingly go to um, uh, companies and ask ask them to stage the experience for us because guess what they're a lot better at it <laughs> than any of us are uh, in, individually but but the key then so the key to parse that out a little bit engaging experience is about engaging right uh, that you you're and and they're inherently personal because you're reaching inside of each person engaging them from the inside out we we know two people have the same experience ever even if they're in the same place at the same time because they have different backgrounds, different other experiences, they've been primed in different ways. They're different people. The brain reacts differently to stimuli, and and so forth. Um, and then, so they're inherently personal. And then, lastly, they have to create that memory. Right? That's the hallmark of an experience. If you didn't create a memory, you really didn't stage an economic uh, experience. Which, by the way is why cx another thing that's changed in the last 20 years is the rise of the cx movement right which which you know we assume had a large part to play in uh, the experience economy but when people talk about cx guess what it's not what i'm talking about because they're talking about making things nice and easy and convenient and all of those are well and good and good but they don't rise to the level of memorability they don't mm. they don't engage people over time they're, they're, they're actually really great service right that's what nice, easy, convenient is. It's time well saved, get in and out as quickly as possible. Uh, And people, in fact, want goods and services to be commoditized with those things like CX so that they can spend their hard-earned money and their hard-earned time on the experience that they really value. And so true experiences are about time well spent, that people value the time that they spend with you. They're engaged during that time and that creates that memory within them.
1: I have a question for Bob. Bob, what is it about Joe's work that influenced the way that you think about designing a learning experience, Anything in particular that, that that comes to mind?
0: Yeah, I mean the, the, there's a large theme through the employee experience book about work is theater, and it made me think about, well, a learning experience is theater. And uh, you know, the, the question that we asked ourselves was, what if we owned every aspect of the learning experience like like i hinted at earlier you know up until then all we thought about was the say 6 to 8 hours that somebody was in a classroom and you know the, this is in the days before we, we were just getting into computer based training and web based training and all that kind of stuff so all classroom was all experience was live in a classroom and we were just worried about that we weren't thinking about the overall experience Uh, which is what we've just been talking about. We were thinking about the overall experience and how that impacted the learning experience. So uh, one of the examples that I give a lot with this, Dana, is um, I was teaching a class and it was just fantastic. We were having an amazing conversation and everybody was getting a lot out of it. And then people started leaving the room and I was like, where are you guys going? What's going on? And they said, well, the laundry closes at five o'clock and I've got my clothes, I've got to pick up out of the laundry. And I was like, why are we not paying the person in the laundry, you know, another $20 to stay another hour so that <laughs> this investment that we're making, you know, can can continue on. And that was part of it. So we started looking at the entire time people were with us and realizing that to make that an engaging, memorable experience was only going to enhance the learning. And I think, you know, Dana, with our with our durable research that has borne out. So it's interesting because we think about you know the the work here and thinking about the experience and the complete experience as we design learning experiences. Super helpful. That's great. But Joe as you've researched more and more about the employee experience like we were just talking about what do you see the role of L&D in creating an overall amazing employee experience for people
3: Well well let me first of all rebel a little bit at your terminology Okay <laughs> which, that's fair which is which is the employee experience, right, often abbreviated EX today, is often becoming yeah. like CX, which is a bastardization of what you're thinking because you're thinking about just this overall arching thing as opposed to thinking, no, it's employee experiences. It's all the experiences. So, yes, I mean, I'm, I'm fine with you saying, okay, well, you add it all up, you have that, the employee experience. Yes. Yeah. But I'm afraid using that term often gets in the way of understanding all those different experiences that you're having, right, every single day. Right, and I will passion. say I'm
0: I'm happy that you're clarifying that because it's one of the biggest problems we have in our industry is terms getting bad. Don't get me on my gamification rant. Right. But anyway,
3: <laughs> go go ahead. All right, uh, we can talk gamification if you want. But um, so L and D, obviously, learning and development. It is it is incredibly important, and it's important on both both sides. If it were a consumer, I'd say supply and demand, but. You know, it's it's important both for the company that you uh, you you enhance the value of each and every individual employee that you make them more capable, you give them greater skills and abilities, you help them level up. Sorry, gamification <laughs> term uh, in their in their jobs uh, that they can do, and um, and that's incredibly important for you as a business, right? You 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 know the old. I was going to say joke, but it's so sad, it's not, and it probably was true at some point, right? You Remember the old story about going into uh, to top management, saying we need to invest all this money in in learning and development, and they respond, but if we do that, you know, we spend all this money, and what if they leave? And and to which the response is, what if you don't spend the money and they stay, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. That's, that's equally as as bad because you know, people do want to to learn, they don't want to be doing the same thing five years from now that they're doing today. Uh, 10 years from now, not the same as five years from now. And obviously, that's particularly important when you're talking with professionals. Um, But even in any job role, uh, people want to be competent, they want the, the mastery of what they're doing. You know, we learned that from Desi and Ryan, all the sociology work they did on the innate needs of human beings. And so they want to work for somebody who are going to make them better their jobs or even even gain skills and capabilities for them to do completely new jobs over time including going to management and and uh, executive ranks so learning and development is incredibly important on uh, both sides in terms of the the employer uh, getting better employees over time and then in terms of the employee becoming better employees over the time becoming and ideally better people over the time as they as they grow
2: from your time working with other uh, companies and and groups and organizations, what do people get wrong, or what do they get wrong in L and D when thinking about the employee experience and keeping them uh, while you know promoting learning and and helping them thrive and grow?
3: um there's a couple of things that come immediately to mind i'm getting at the age whenever i start saying oh there are three things and i finish two and i can't remember the third one but hopefully (laughs) or or it's it's
1: one of those where you go number one and then c yeah
3: (laughs) (laughs) right see now now you've already made me forget what the question was much even what what we're talking about yeah so no what what people get wrong what does l and d get wrong yes i do i do remember um So, so one of the things they get wrong is to think of themselves in terms of merely educators, right? And then sort of like people are this, you know, you want to just stuff this funnel in people's brains and pour stuff into it. And it just, it just doesn't, doesn't work. Uh, And, and in particular, they need to, um, um, they need to make it interesting. You know, the, the old uh, term uh which i saw i don't you, you'll have to tell me if there's a lot of 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 uh, pushback against this term in l and but i with a lot of universities i've worked with and others and uh, there was and that's the term edutainment right edutainment you know, ed, educational plus entertainment right two realms of experience um, but the thing is is that if you if you don't entertain people while you educate them guess what they can easily become bored they can easily check out but when you do both of those, when you have edutainment, then you can uh, hold their attention right? much more, much more readily. So it's a matter of thinking more richly about that, what that education is. And then secondly, is um, is is thinking, okay, we gave them a class, and therefore they know how to apply it, and they have mastery over it, right? Instead of recognizing you need to you need to slice and dice it much more readily, where they're immediately applying it in their work. Otherwise, it just so easily gets uh, gets forgotten, and, and uh, you know, and, and in the end,
0: doesn't do anything. So that was two. Did you? Can you remember the third? And C. <laughs> no, there, were, there was there was no third. There were only two. Okay, all right, all right. right, right. Well, though, you know, we 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 hear that all the time from our sponsors, right? It, it gets even yeah. more granular with us. It's like it was on a PowerPoint slide. Of course, they know it.
1: Right. Right. <laughs> right. It was
0: one bullet on a PowerPoint slide with 800 other things. Right. But yeah, you know, it's like, uh, of course, edutainment worked. If if edutainment didn't work, you wouldn't have the phenomenon of in every single United States uh, Constitution test, kids sitting there singing, we the people in order to form a more perfect like, you know. Right.
3: Or the, yeah, my kid, my kids learned a song of the 50 states and the, and the capitals. Oh, the Animaniacs Second grade. Well, this was. I don't. I don't know if it was on that. I remember it's like second grade, so it was a long time ago. But
1: the one I always remember is "I'm a Bill, I'm a Bill, sitting yeah, on yeah. Capitol Hill."
2: Right? Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of edutainment, I think um, one of the things L struggles with right now, especially during the pandemic, is getting attention. Yep. Um, the most because they've we've actually taken a lot of people out of their normal environment. We've lost our ability to gain, put people into a more learning, uh, a better learning environment where right. they can walk away from their from their job. And that's actually been very hard to create a meaningful experience. And it's actually required us to rethink it completely and how we offer different experiences in learning. So when we, even for your work specifically, how has the pandemic even changed the way you either think or update? And plus, how does that impact with even L&D? What changes do we have to think about?
3: Well, yeah, the pandemic has, has changed so much. What it has not changed is the human being's thirst for experience. <laughs> it hasn't changed <clears> that at all. But we've had to uh, take those experiences and, and and take them from out there to in here, from uh, uh, physical to digital, from from uh, social uh, to you know, familial and communal, uh, but we still want all those experiences. And now as things are, are uh, opening up, you see just this huge pent up demand uh, for all the experiences that are out there and getting back to physical. But one of the things that, that has changed and I think will continue is the concept of hybrid experiences. think like, hybrid experiences provide much more value, particularly for the company doing them, if you think about it that way, uh, than um, uh, being physical or digital alone. Uh, that, and, and particularly with digital, there's many things that you can do. Uh, uh, this may be a related word to, to gamification, Bob, but a word I often use is Twitchification. <laughs> that yep. what you want is you want that virtual experience to be Twitchified, which is, that is that that it's not just about the learning that's coming across, it's about the interactions with each other as things are going on, where they can talk to each other, they can, they can communicate with each other on chat and so forth, uh, and they're much more engaged and often even in flow with all of this stuff going on at once, and increasingly people, you know, younger people today, they, they learn that way too with, with um, multiple inputs at once.
1: What's your definition of hybrid? Because th- that that's another being term used, that's like, is <laughs> yeah, being used that a weird. lot, well, and I think it would becoming the newest buzzword. Yeah, yeah. clarify okay. your. Um, your vision. Well, I
3: mean, I, I don't have this big long definition of what hybrid. It's physical plus digital. I mean, how hard is that? It's just like you got you got both people in the room live physically, and you got people in the room or not in the room, but they're live virtually. Right, that's a hybrid experience. I, I have a model of hybrid experiences that has. Uh, two more levels to it, which may or may not apply to L and D. Well, actually, at least the third one does. Uh, actually, they all 4 can now that I think about it. So anyway, so one is the, the physical level. And these are the people that will tend to get the most out of it, that they're live there, they're giving their full attention and so forth. Uh, and when I'm talking to companies about staging them, I say, well, then here you charge the biggest price, right? Because they're live, like going to a sporting event, you charge. Uh, you know, went to a baseball game last night and, and paid a huge amount of fee versus watching it on TV virtually. Right at the same time, right? That's the that's the virtual experience, but it's synchronous to what's going on, and that's where you want to twitchify that as much as possible. And a lot of people that watch uh, sporting events um, on different platforms so that they can communicate with each other and comment about it. Um, and then the the third level is where it's asynchronous right so it's digital it's asynchronous uh, and you generally you slice it into smaller components so people can either buy or access it in an LD standpoint those pieces that make sense for them and maybe the whole didn't and then also those pieces can then much be much more on a just-in-time basis as opposed to going to one place learning all this and then not applying it so okay when i need to apply it let me go back or even i was there physically but let me go back and look at it again because now i need it And then the fourth level is where you basically take that stuff and you make a highlights reel and you put it out on YouTube for a company or out in your own internal network. And you say, wow, you missed a great experience because you weren't here. You want to make sure you come to the next one right, or access it and and use that as marketing, basically enticing for the the next experience.
0: That's interesting. And it starts to lead to us again, as L&D professionals, remembering, you know, our, our job is not to put on learning experiences or create learning experiences. Our job is to help people transform and, you know, build skills that lead to performance. And, Joe, I know you're, you're kind of talking about that now as the, the top level of your hierarchy of experience. You have more to say about that?
3: Yeah. Th- so that really fundamentally, uh, L&D is in the transformation business. So in the progression of economic value that is at the core to the book, The Experience Economy, we recognize that that prior to this, economists recognized three distinct economic offerings, commodities, goods, and services. An interesting thing to recognize is that economists didn't recognize services as a distinct economic offering to the late 1800s. (laughs) When, When Adam Smith wrote The Wealth of Nations, he said services were basically worthless. All there is to get your goods to market. And it's interesting, he said, the worst offenders, remember that term, the worst offenders, Adam Smith says, are the buffoons and the magicians and the opera singers and right, all the experienced stages of the day. He said there's no economic value whatsoever in experiences is what he was saying. Right. Well, if you live today, you would have a different different point of view uh, because there's more economic value in experiences than in the commodities, goods and services. But there's one more level out there. Which is when you use experiences as the raw material to guide people to change, to help them, in other words, achieve their aspirations, to become who they want to want to become. And that we do call a transformation. So a transformation is the fifth and final economic offering in this progression of economic value, uh, where you're guiding people. That's the economic function, right? You, you extract commodities, you make goods, you deliver services, you stage experiences. There's the work is theater point that you made earlier, Bob, but you guide transformations. Because you can't change anybody, is a point of fact. Only they can change themselves. Right? As the old saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. So you have to guide, you have to be their, their Sherpa on this journey, right, to climb this mountain. Uh, and, but they have to climb it. If you just go to the top of the mountain yourself and say, hi, how you doing down there? Well, you know, they, they weren't transformed. So, so L&D is fundamentally, again, In the transformation business, I put air quotes around business, you know, because it's obviously an internal function, although you can imagine, well, maybe in some companies it should be external and they should be contracting and all that. But it's really in the transformation business. That's what it wants. That's what the company, again, demand and supply side, that's what the company wants is they want transformed individuals, more capabilities, more skills, higher productive in particular, more creative, more innovative, do more stuff. Uh, and people want to be transformed as well into more capable uh, uh, people. And, th- and there it's not just employees. You need to, you need to address the whole person and, and not just the employee side of them. The whole work-life balance thing is basically an artifact of the Industrial Revolution, before that, work life was all together, and I think increasingly that's what it's going to be, particularly as our workplaces move hybrid, and we've figured out, hopefully, uh, most of us figured out over the last fifteen months how to um, how to handle work and home, you know, in the in the in the same place. Uh, that um, you know that that's uh, important as well is to, to understand you have to uh, understand this as a whole person and. And also to not to not ever, as Kant said, treat uh, human beings as uh, as as means right? U- to to utilitarian ends. They are they are uh, ends in and of themselves.
0: So, with that in mind, as our as our time is kind of coming to a close here, uh, you know, Joe, if you could if you could give let's say one to three tips. One to, so see. You, one to, see, one to tips. see.
3: One to see tips. One to see tips. Yes.
0: For, for the, the thousands and thousands of, of L&D practitioners uh, and also secondary ed people and, and primary ed people right. who listen to our podcast, so- what would that be? I'll give, so I'm going to sorry I'm going to give you five, but I've mentioned some okay. before,
3: so it's a little bit quick, and I can't remember Great. all five of these days. I'm pretty sure, right? <laughs> and so I'll start. I'll start by saying what they are, because this is in the in the new release of the uh, the experience economy in 2020. This is how we position the content basically is across these five elements of experience, and they they apply uh, absolutely to to L and D and to any learning environment. And that is that you need to stage experiences that are robust cohesive personal dramatic and even transformative and right? those five things so robust is the is there's a two-by-two two framework that i alluded to before that there are educational realm and entertainment realms of experience there's also escapist realms and aesthetic realms of experience and l and d needs so needs to not just be edutainment educational plus entertainment it needs to be eduscapist Educational plus escapus, which is called a field trip, right? Where you go to some place mm-hmm. and learn there. Uh, it's also when you think about learning in the moment of just in time learning as I'm applying in my actual work, right? So as opposed to going separately, right? That's eduscapist. We also need to do edustetic, which is to design the learning places, and and you know you've done that for a long time in L and D in a classroom setting. And Jake, this is what you were talking about earlier also is as people are learning from home. Well, guess what? You need to help people have the right learning environment in their home. And this is something mm-hmm. I have not seen companies do. Right? You know, so myself, I'm sitting here in my home office. I got my wall-to-wall bookcases on both sides. I got the lake over here. I've got a wraparound desk. I got everything that I need. I got three different screens that I use as I'm doing it. And you need to help. And one of them is, is 27 inches. Uh, and people do, working on a laptop, just I just can't imagine how you can get a lot of work done on a laptop without right. that big screen. So you need to help them do that. You need to spend money to do that, including you know noise cancellation and how to handle uh, things that are going on in their personal lives, right? That's the edgy static. So sorry, that was a long time. And I'd already mentioned that one. So then is cohesive. Cohesive means having an organizing principle of the experience. That's how you decide what's in the experience versus what's out. Uh, generically, we call that a theme. People often don't like to talk about themes because, oh, that means you gotta be fantasy like Disney or in your face like a theme restaurant, but simply coming up with what is that organizing principle and aligning everything together so you have a cohesive experience. Uh, Personal is about customizing that experience to each individual. We talked a little bit about knowing who they are and individually and, and their learning styles and so forth. So we need to more and more customize to them, because customization turns goods into services, services into experiences, and even experiences into transformations. Dramatic is what we talked about with work is theater, number one. Uh, that, and you need to teach your people how to act. That's one of the things you need to teach, uh, and, and how to perform on your business stage. But you also, of course, every teacher is a performer on that stage. And then it's also, this is what you, what you originally talked about, Bob, about why you like the book in the first place, is, is the dramatic structure is key to L&D, is that you need to have a dramatic structure that rises up to a climax and comes back down again. If I am sitting in a classroom and I'm talking like this and even my voice does not rise in any bit and have any inflection, then of course everybody's going to be bored, right? you got to rise up and come back down again. And then fifth and final is the transformative aspect of it. Again, just recognize you're in the transformation business. How do you design the set of experiences that are customized to each individual person, the journey that they need to go on to be able to achieve their individual aspirations for who they are, as well as, it makes it doubly difficult for L&D, your corporate aspirations for those individual people as well. And one core thing there is never forget follow through. You gotta follow through. You gotta ensure that the transformation actually takes hold.
0: So, learning development people, let's fly. (laughs) That's
1: Burnham's catchphrase. I looked (laughs) it up. Oh, let's fly. (laughs) Let's fly. Let's engage.
0: Let's fly. Joe Pine, thank you so much for being with us. Fantastic. As always, great to spend time with you. Really appreciate
1: it. Bob, can I just say it has been fine to opine with Joe Pine? no you may not
0: (laughs) you take
3: that back and well just remember when it comes to experiences it's about
0: time there you go it all adds up Uh, thanks again thank you Joe thanks Jake and Dana and thank you to you our listeners on behalf of all of us thank you and uh, come back around we'll have another Learning Geeks podcast coming up really soon until then we'll see you soon and let's fly let's engage thanks everybody